Good morning. Today is Wednesday, January 18th, 2023. And this is a regular meeting of the Building Inspection Commission. And our first item on the agenda is uh, roll call. And also, if you have any electronic devices, if you could uh, please silence them. Okay, uh, Commissioner, I'm sorry, President Beto? Here. Vice President Tam? Here. Commissioner Alexander Toot? Present. Um, and she is present. If you could just unmute yourself. Um, and Commissioner Newman? Here. Commissioner Summer? Here. Here. And Commissioner Shaddix? Here. Yes. I don't know. Okay, and we have a quorum, and um, next is our land acknowledgement. The Building Inspection Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatish Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatish Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush Ohlone community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Also, for members of the public who are listening or calling in, the Listen Public Comment call-in number is 415-655-001. The access code is 2494-504-7041. And there's also a required uh, webinar password, which is 0118. Um, to raise your hand for public comment on a specific agenda item, press star three when prompted by the meeting moderator. Okay, next, uh, we have item two. Um, no, I'm sorry, President's announcement, uh, President's remarks. No, I, I'm getting it wrong. Now, item two is findings to allow teleconference meetings under California Government Code Section 54953E. Discussion and possible action. The commission will discuss and possibly adopt a resolution setting forth findings required under Assembly Bill 361 that would allow the BIC to hold meetings or for commissioners to attend meetings when necessary remotely according to the modified Brown Act teleconferencing set forth in AB 361. Is there a motion to continue to meet remotely as needed? Motion to adopt the resolution. Second. So there's a motion and a second. Are all commissioners in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay, then Aye. Thank you. That motion carries. Um, then next is our president's opening remarks. Um, I wanted to wish everybody uh, on the commission Happy New Year to DBI and also the attending public. And here's the 2023. Um, but we didn't have a, I didn't have a chance to do this at the end of this, uh, last year in December because we had um, some ten, a lot more attendees in uh, uh, attending online. But I'm happy to see that we have the majority of our commissioners in person. And I wanted to look back on 2022 and some of the uh, accomplishments of the BIC as a commission. Um, last year, uh, 
close to about this time, but we uh, appointed the new director for DBI. Uh, 2022 also serves as last year that we possess this authority with the new charter adopted uh, pending adoption later this year. Um, as a commission, we took that responsibility seriously. We understood the change in leadership that needed to happen. On that note, that this time also um, serves as a, is also the new director's first year, and we look forward to this morning's session to hear about his first year as DBI's director. Uh, the other thing we, I wanted just to, uh, to uh, highlight was the client services meetings, focusing on DBI's, DBI's effort to streamline the permit process and how it's being implemented and received. The subcommittee's attention to the pre-plan check process helped DBI understand the community's concerns through our questions and our, the issues we raised. Other subcommittees that I was uh, pleased to see uh, have more energy was the nomination committee um, with new commissioners. It was good to see the activity and the effort from the members serving that group. I think I can speak on behalf of my fellow commissioners that we're proud of the work we put into this commission in 2022. We've discussed topics, asked tough questions that could have a real impact to the city and county of San Francisco's building landscape. For me personally, January marks a full year as president of the Building Commission. It's been a lot more work than I anticipated. Understanding this is a relatively new commission, it takes time to have synergy, and we're all pleased to see how we've come along this past year. In addition, the, the addition of Commissioner Shaddix will further add to our collaborative efforts to make DBI department, to, to, to help DBI a department better serve San Francisco. I want to thank my fellow commissioners for their commitment to civic involvement. Uh, the questions I have for the commission and the things that we focused or prioritized, or the questions I have for the commission today and perhaps in the ongoing months is what do we want to focus on in 2023, uh, both individually and as a commission? And something we can discuss and talk about in later meetings and in the months ahead. That ends my opening remarks. Thank you. Thank you. Um, is there any public comment on the president's opening remarks? Um, seeing none, we'll go to item four, general public comment. The BIC will take public comment on matters within the commission's jurisdiction that are not part of this agenda. Okay, um, is there any remote general public comment? Okay, there is no general public comment. We are on to item five, discussion and possible action regarding Board of Supervisors Ordinance, file number 220878-2, amending the planning and building codes to increase fines and penalties for violations of planning and building code provisions. Clarify that violations affecting more than one unit in a building constitute multiple violations for purposes of assessing penalties adding factors to consider in determining the appropriate amount of civil penalties in addition to other requirements. You know, commissioners, good morning. My name is Carl Nasita. I am DBI's new legislative affairs manager. So it's great to be here with you this morning and great to be with the department. I started 
the end of December, so I'm about three weeks in. Still getting my bearings, but happy to be here. I am here to introduce a proposed ordinance to increase fines and penalties for planning and building code violations. This sounds familiar, it should. You heard this item in October. There has since been a substantive change to the proposed ordinance, which is why it's back before you today. So just a little bit of background before I turn it over to Santiago Lerma from Supervisor Ronan's office, who I don't see here in the hearing room, but I think is on WebEx. Um, this was originally introduced on July 26, 2022, and heard by you on October 19, 2022. As I said, it was reintroduced with a substantive change on November 29, 2022, and assigned to the Land Use Committee, and referred again to the Building Inspection Commission, and the ordinance was heard and recommended for approval by the Code Advisory Committee on January 11, 2023. If I can have the next slide, and two slides over, actually. So, as I said, there was a substantive change to the ordinance when it was reintroduced in November, and I'll describe that change. So, for five years from the date of an unlawful demolition, no permit authorizing the construction or alteration of any building or structure for that site shall be issued except the construction or alteration of a building with the structure or structure with the same or greater number of residential units, the same or higher proportion of residential to non-residential units, and the same or fewer square feet as the building or structure that was unlawfully demolished. Just to be clear, this provision was included in the original ordinance that you heard. The new provision is that in cases that qualify for this exception, the proposed area of all additional units must be at least 40% of the gross square footage of the largest unit in the proposed project, unless all units in the replacement project will be sold or rented at below market rates. So this provision was included in the, the planning code portion of the ordinance and incorporated into the building code section. And that is why it's here before you today. I believe Santiago should be online. If not, I will do my best to answer any questions that you have. Um, I don't see him online yet. Okay. okay. Oh, okay. Okay. I am happy to answer questions if you if you have any. If the commissioners have any questions on the ordinance? Commissioner Summer? I believe this I was at the meeting that this was discussed for the code advisory committee. It, my understanding was, so this is a planning, this is a planning item, and I think that's why that group did not talk about it at length. Is that, is that correct? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. And the, the language is included in the building code okay. section, but it is a planning code provision. Got it. Thank you. Can, oh, may I ask what, what, what it was meant to address the change? Uh, that's actually, I'm not oh, sure. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's a great question yep. for Santiago. If, once he's here, we sure. can get that answered for you. Well, what's material based on the existing versus proposed? Is it, I'm looking at page 43. Is that existing? Is the proposed, the 1,000 is something we talked about last year. Correct, correct, okay. yeah. So that's not new. So when I, sorry, I was thinking existing was like where you guys, where we were in, in October, so. I could. 
go over um, the, the changes in that ordinance um, to the building code. Um, civil pen penalties for all violations of the code would not be less than $200 and would not exceed $1,000. That's a change from the building code currently, uh, which caps it at $500. And it also clarifies that each real property address, each commercial or dwelling unit within a multi-unit address is a distinct violation of the building code. So two-unit building, two violations. Correct. Double if there were two violations, right. And who are we waiting for? Um, Santiago Lerma. He's from uh, Supervisor Hillary Ronan's office. She was the sponsor of this legislation. And where are they? He's running a few minutes late, but should be here in about eight minutes. So should we move, could we like move on to another agenda item? Because we have a lot on our and then come back to this, is that possible? I don't think we can wait around for eight minutes. Well, but we should hear what the person from uh, Ronan's office has to say about this, and then they, we might have more questions. I just don't wanna, I don't wanna move it and forget about it. I'm just suggesting that if she has something to add to this, because they are sponsoring this, that we could come back to it after we move on to other agenda items. Any public comment on this item? She's, she's controlling. Um, no, so give you Commissioner some. Newman. Oh, did uh, Commissioner have a question and um, also, it seems like she does just one moment and I just also wanted to make a comment or ask a question it seems like the substantive change is really that um, it's this 40% provision and then uh, the provision to say that uh, it's for below market rate correct right. below market rate if is it's a sold or rent controlled right is exempt Exactly, it would be exempt from the 40% provision. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Uh, um, um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, if you could. I'm sorry, Commissioner, you can go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Uh, we'll thank you, Commissioner. Can you hear me? Um, Okay. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay, great. So I'm on my phone and on my computer, so I'm trying not to create an echo. Thank you. Um, so my, my reading of this is that it looks like the intention is to try to avoid a situation where one gigantic unit gets built and like a couple different small studios get built to meet the, the requirement. Um, uh, so I, I think it's kind of a, a so that to eliminate kind of workarounds um, to the intention of the ordinance. Um, so if that is the if that's um, the intention, I'm definitely supportive of this change, and also appreciate the exception for the BMR. I think that's very thoughtful. Um, but I'm curious to see if there's public comment, which I thought there might be. Yeah, there there actually is. Um, there is public comment. So did you want to hold hold your? I'm sorry, you can come forward. 
Yes, thank you. Hello, I'm Sarah Fred Sherbinsmer from Housing Rights Committee of San Francisco. Um, we have seen a number of situations where someone gets a permit to build one unit or five units and suddenly builds, gets community comment, whatnot, and then does whatever the fuck they want, excuse my language, and that this legislation is uh, trying to, as community groups and as tenant groups, we are sick of seeing developers just get away with anything, and that it's really important that in a situation where they make multiple violations, that they get fined for those multiple violations. That if they're building more than one illegal extra unit, that they get fined for it, because often it ends up being tenants who end up taking the brunt of bad conditions, um, neighbors who get stuck with things that there should have been a public process for, the developer does, and then there's no real consequences. And so we really um, support increasing the fines, um, as well as making them per unit, because different units have really different situations. And if a, if a developer, a landlord, an owner isn't taking care of them, they need to be fine for the range of things um, that they're doing in the different things. And that a $500 cap means nothing in this economy. And to really raise fines to what they should be, I actually think there's ways. We also believe you should, that you should be raising your own assessments in, within the uh, building code violation process as well. But this is a good start at some, taking on this issue we're starting to see more and more of in different neighborhoods of San Francisco. So thank you very much. Thank you. Is there any more public comment um, in, in person in the hearing room? Okay. If not, we, we have someone online. Okay. Caller, if you can hear us, please unmute yourself. Good morning. My name is Sean Kigrin. Can, can, can you hear me? Yes. Good morning, my name is Sean Caburn with the Residential Builders Association. I haven't had time to do a deep dive, but I have skimmed through the legislation. My initial review is some of this is very good. Those who knowingly do illegal activity or illegal demolitions need to be punished and they need to be punished severely. I have no problem with people who do damage to historical properties and our organization has generally supported legislation to clamp down on these scoff laws. However, my concern is, does this legislation do enough to distinguish honest contractors who make honest mistakes to those who knowingly and willingly perform the illegal activities? Let's take a look at who our contractors are. Most of them are immigrants. Most of them don't have college degrees. And many times, we are exposing them to the most sophisticated and most complicated conditional use process. This is setting up the stage for something bad or something wrong to, to happen, which I'd hate to see them be subjected to these major fines. I feel the criteria when considering the penalties needs to include previous tra track records and their history of working with the department both DBI and planning, and some more, uh, a better criteria to reflect the previous character. Very few people realize how complicated our demolition process is. 
it's my understanding that the planning department only has one or two people who are experts and can just can can go through that process and clearly determine whether or not something is in demolition. And if planning only has one or two people, how are we going to expect contractors in the field to get it right every single time? So do I support this? Yes. But a lot could be done to strengthen the difference between those who are trying to do the right thing and, and making honest mistakes versus someone with bad intent. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. There any further public comment? Okay, so uh, Commissioner Alexander, are you? Did you have anything else to add after following this public comment? Okay, thank you. Thank you. So President Vito, uh, are you able to wait for a couple of minutes, or did you want our commissioners comfortable with voting on this? Uh, do we want to wait to hear from? the legislative person that was, or the person that was from Hillary Ronan's office, her, her aide. Can, can we just, can we move on to another agenda? I just don't understand why we would vote on something without hearing I the rest of it. Sorry to interrupt, uh, President Vito, I just got an update that he's just a, a minute away. He's, he's in the building and we'll be here in just a second. Okay. I didn't see the message he sent. Apologies, he thought our meeting was at uh, 10 o'clock. So normally the BIC is supposed to be 10, but we've been moving it up to, to nine lately. Does somebody want to text him about that? Um, I will <clears throat> notify staff it should be correct, but I will, will not, we'll notify our, we'll try to make sure that it's correct. Okay. Oh, oh, great. <laughs> uh, good morning, uh, commissioners. My apologies, I had the wrong time on my calendar. Um, so uh, this item, I, I came presented to you, um, I believe, in uh, November, or October, November, um, on this item. Um, it was passed unanimously. Um, uh, at the request of planning department, we made some changes and decided it uh, was more efficient to just reintroduce the um, item. Um, with regard to the um, DBI, um, or the uh, um, inspection code, there are no changes from what I presented to you uh, late last year. Um, but just as a reminder, uh, what this ordinance does is it clarifies that uh, any uh, person who knowingly signs um, off on um, any permit will, is, will be held liable, not just the, um, the primary contractor, so anyone in the ladder that knowingly deceives the city. Um, the other thing that it uh, changes is that it um, makes each individual um, violation, um, I'm sorry, it, it uh, clarifies that 
each uh, unit within a building where there is a violation that has a violation is an individual violation instead of uh, how it is now where it's just aggregated as one violation. Um, and happy to take any questions. I have a question. So I presume that the revision was really to preserve or to not limit the housing stock. I mean, I think that's sort of the genesis of it. Um, go ahead, sorry. Uh, no, I, well, it's it's primarily focused on um, the egregious actors. Um, I think um, the example that we used as kind of the genesis of the ordinance was the San Bruno case, where um, there are upwards of 15 uh, violations right now that are only being counted as one. Um, so we really wanted to go after those actors. No, understood. I'm just the exception, though. That you, the, the exception is what we're really voting on, which is that if you have at least, is that that's what that's what we're we're focusing on is not just the entire because we talked about this back in October. Mm -hmm. Okay. Through the chair. When, when you mentioned in line or the ladder, how I mean, how far does it go? Architects, special inspections, special inspectors. I mean, does it go all the way? How, how far? How, what's the extent of that? Um, it, it, if if there is a knowingly, if you're knowingly deceiving, um, you know, anybody in the web of of, of construction um, who knowingly deceives the city would be liable. Got it. But the exception is speaking to sort of the size and quantity of that that you could qualify for that. Okay. That's what we're speaking to today. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, and to Commissioner President Vice President Tam's point about uh, the bad actors along the line. Question to DBI is, what are our checkpoints for that internal, like when we're signing off on permits or we're doing inspections? Well, the um, building inspector is obligated to make sure that the work is in compliance with the approved drawings and that it meets the requirements of the building code, that the engineering letters are provided to us by the, the engineer for the project. Um, something that we have done since we had a, a combined meeting with the Planning Commission and the Building Inspection Commission several years ago is we have instituted a policy whereby we mandate uh, an initial inspection for any uh, construction that uh, that includes vertical or horizontal additions. So what we like to do anymore is get out there ahead of time and create a roadmap for the contractor. So to the, the caller's point that we don't have innocent contractors who get caught up in a situation like where they had to do some additional dry rot repair, for example. So we, we have put that those, some of those checks and balances in place already. but. Um, Overall, we're looking at plans and uh, determining compliance with the requirements of the code, making sure we have engineering reports to substantiate the, the structural work that was done. And just a quick question on that. If they do find something egregious or misrepresented, is that is that, that point that an inspector would issue a NOV or what, what, what actions would they take sort of just from a process standpoint? And well... The start of work inspection comes before any work is performed, but if the inspector goes back out and sees that they have gone beyond the scope of what's outlined in their drawings, 
the chances are that there would be, if it were, if it were something like dry rot repair, because a contractor or anyone won't see dry rot inside the walls of a building or the structure of a building prior to removing the finishes. So a correction notice would be issued. They would be asked to go back to the planning department and DBI and get uh, the proper permit for the increased scope of work. Now, if they knowingly went beyond the scope of the project and did additional demolition, then we would issue a notice of violation and we would stop the, the work until they secured the proper permits. And if, it, I mean, if it rose to a very egregious situation, then we would, obviously, we would reach out to our city attorney and uh, do what was needed. So there are several different scenarios with this, but um, I, I'd like to think we have put additional checks and balances in place uh, over the last several years to avoid these kind of things happening. I have one more question. If my and then following your question, it's Commissioner Newman and Commissioner Alexander too have questions. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Commissioner Newman. I didn't see the screen. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, just sort of bringing it back to, I think, the substantive change here. It's really that if someone is found in violation, so we kind of already agreed on the violation piece, but there was a provision that said if you were found to be in fi violation for five years, essentially you couldn't make any major alterations to your property. Sure. What this provision now says is that there is an exemption to that, and that exemption is essentially for affordable housing or if you are going to add additional square footage that is providing more housing is that am i understanding that clearly yes that's and that was uh, made at the request of planning but the 40 percent of the new units that are in violation 40 percent of those are 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 part of sort of like the gross square footage. If that constitute 40%, then you would qualify for that exception. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And then my last question is just in this, uh, this is a 40 page document, so I apologize, I didn't read every single word of it, but in, in, in uh, evaluating the bad offenders, and probably this is a question for DVI, but also maybe to planning, are sort of first time offenders sort of consider because I think we tend to ask those quite kind of kind of questions on like the abatement appeals board but you know if somebody has had repeated violations or or repeat offender of these things I presume that you know the the optics of that and and how uh, planning or DBI would look at that with a little bit more serious versus somebody who might have done something for the first time yeah definitely um in fact, if somebody um, has uh, multiple violations, they're probably going to end up on the expanded compliance control list, and they would be subject to many more um, controls in, in, in regard to what it is you know, the violation describes. So yes, uh, obviously if we see somebody that that's, has a history of doing these things, we'll We'll look at it very closely. We look at everything closely, but I mean, for the egregious cases, we're obviously we're going to be um, putting you know great effort into making sure that you know we you know follow up and reach out to our city attorney if we need to and do whatever is necessary. 
I don't have any further questions. Commissioner Alexander, too, did you still have a question? Uh, no, Commissioner Newman asked my question, and I feel like it was fully answered by the presenter, so thank you. Madam Secretary, can I ask a question? Is it possible to float Commissioner Newman on our screen so we can see her? Oh. Because we did that last, I think the last time. Oh, Alexander Toot. Um, I. Oh, what did I say, Newman? Toot? Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I'm not quite sure how to do that. I'll try to. But I don't think we really need I'll to. I'll check. Uh -huh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> need another cup of oh, coffee. Oh, yeah. yeah, she was, she was, oh, you mean on your screens or on this? Yes, on our main? screen. So we can look at Commissioner Toot. Okay. I'll have to try to figure that talking. out. And maybe even before she talks, if sometimes she, like. <coughs> I'll try to figure that out. I don't know if I can do that today, but I'll try to figure that out. Okay. okay. I good. think we did it the last time, so. Okay. Okay. I don't have any other questions. Okay. All right. Thank you. So then if there are no further questions, are the commissioners ready to make a motion? Motion to accept the amendment to, uh, what is the, is that, is that sufficient? Um, they just said a motion to approve uh, the, the Board of Supervisor Ordinance. The 22078-2, is that what we're approving? Yes. Right. Thank you. I second okay. it. Okay, so there's a motion to approve this ordinance by Commissioner Newman and a second by um, President Beto. And I'll do a roll call vote on the item. President Beto? Yes. Vice President Tam? Yes. Commissioner Alexander Toot? Yes. Commissioner Newman? Yes. Commissioner Summer? Yes. Commissioner Shaddix? Yes. Okay, that motion carries unanimously. So um, next we are on to item six, um, discussion regarding a fee study for the Department of Building Inspection. Um, and this item is continued from the December 14, 2022 special meeting. Good morning, commissioners. Alex Koskinen, Deputy Director of Administration. Can you please bring up the presentation and move to the next slide? So I'm here today to talk about a fee study that the department is currently undertaking in order to right-size our fees and make sure that at the highest level, the department um, is able to operate, collects enough revenue to operate. DBI is entirely self-supported by its fees, and so it's very important that we set those fees at the correct levels. And in addition to operating, uh, being able to operate, it's making sure that the, the city and the community is, uh, has a healthy construction industry and we don't discourage any economic activity that would benefit the city. So the, the structure, we've hired a consultant, NBS, to conduct this fee study for us. The last fee study was conducted in 2015 when the economy was doing very well and the results of that were and across the board decrease in fees. And since then, obviously with the major event being the pandemic, uh, fee revenues are way down. And so it is very important that the department takes a, a new look at its fees and resets them at the correct levels. So 
the first step is really to identify all existing fees and fines and what allows us to charge those fees and fines. Most of the, the majority is in the building code itself, but there are some state codes that set certain fees and certain fee levels that we cannot adjust. Um, what, the next step will be to determine recovery cost centers, so that's really scopes of work. What is the department doing? What are the types of work that the department does? Uh, for example, there could be a boiler, a boiler permit cost center, and that would be all costs associated with issuing boiler permits. So all the staff who are working for, uh, towards that, the share of the, the office, the rent, the desk that they're sitting at, uh, hard hats and personal protective equipment, all, all costs associated with that activity. Once we have determined all of the different cost centers, then we need to determine how much each of those activities cost. So there are direct costs and indirect costs. Direct costs are the staff and materials and uh, professional services that directly benefit that activity. And indirect costs are things like the building rent or the department administration, a portion of my salary, Patrick's salary, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, we allocate, we find the total cost of the department and then allocate all of those costs to these different cost centers that we've identified. Then the next step will be to determine which fees should support each cost center. So, for example, we may have a, 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 permit, a permit group who does many different types of activities, and there may be many fees that support the work that they're doing, that particular cost center. So we need to determine what percentage of each cost center should be supported by each fee. Once we know that, we and, and part of that will be to uh, determine new, new fees and new fines for things, for work or cost centers, work, work that the department is doing that it is not uh, currently collecting any revenue for. So there are many legislative efforts, for example, first year free program. It's a relatively new program. It requires a decent amount of administrative work from management information services, they need to change permit tracking system, we need to change physical forms, we need to train staff on how to administer the program, certain refunds are due, so staff needs to process those in accounting, and there are currently no fees for those, so that is work the department does that just goes unpaid for, and the only source for such unfunded mandates is the department's existing fund balance. Once we have all of the, the cost centers established, the costs of those cost centers, and we've determined which fees are going to support those cost centers, the last step before we determine the fee and fine amounts is to estimate utilization. So we will do our best to determine how many permits do we, how many boiler permits do we think we'll issue this year. Once we know that the cost to, the cost of the boiler 
cost center is $100,000. If we estimate 10 permits, then each permit should be $10,000. And so that is how we finally arrive at the, the fee amounts. Also, part of the part of the cost estimation for the cost centers is in in I'll get to that in the next slide. Um, once once we have the the fee amounts set, the, once the consultant calculates the new fee amounts, then we will determine what changes need to be made to the building code. So. There are various options. We can just increase the dollar, change the current code to increase the dollar amounts and leave it at that and possibly add in new fees and new amounts. However, uh, one goal of this current fee study is to add new language to the building code that would give the department flexibility to increase fees outside of these once every five, seven year fee studies so the department can be more agile and adapt to the big swings in the economy without cutting things as close as we are cutting them right now. Finally, the final item here is one of the goals of the fee study is to develop a reserve program. This is, from what I'm told by the consultant, largely uncharted waters and we need to be careful not to limit ourselves too much and have a very rigid structure that says you shall use this much fund balance or in, in bad years or you shall set fees to deposit this much in good years. We want to basically use it as a guide, uh, best practice, so estimate how long downturns usually take and set a maximum reserve amount uh, at a level that would be able to support the department through that downturn without major changes, major significant changes upwards or downwards in, in fees and fines. Next slide, please. So this is the roadmap, the major milestones of the fee study. The project kickoff was in December and we are currently in Milestone two and three, working on those simultaneously. We're reviewing the structure of the department. We're scheduling meetings with the consultant and various subject matter experts in the department so the consultant can learn the business, learn what everybody does, learn the types of work that are being done, and link the fees to those types of work and able, be able to develop those cost centers. And they're also collecting data, working with uh, our director's office and MIS teams to um, learn more about how many and what types of permits that we're issuing. Uh, parallel to this fee study, we are currently developing our budget for the next two years, and that will really inform the cost side, so the numerator of the fees, how much does it cost to do these services. We are making various changes to the budget, adding positions, taking positions away, adding different costs. Uh, we're being 
other departments are making changes to the amounts that they are charging us for various things, et cetera, et cetera. So we are working with the, we are informing the consultant about the work we are doing on the budget side so that they're able to accurately calculate the fees. So uh, the next steps will be the consultant, once they have initial fee amounts calculated, they will do fee comparisons with various other jurisdictions, uh, LA, San Diego, around the Bay Area. Compared, they will compare our fees to other building departments that operate in similar ways and that are most comparable uh, to just make sure, give us a reality check and make sure that we're not charging way too much or way too little in comparison to other jurisdictions. And after that, they will, they will present a series of options since changing fees will likely be something that the mayor's office is very interested in and the city at large, there will be large interest, I'm sure, from the community and everyone wants to make sure that we're not discouraging any economic activity from happening. So the consultant will present various options and then they will, if needed, come before the, the BIC or, and or the Board of Supervisors to give a presentation on their fee study efforts and the results and then it will be up to the legislative bodies to make their decisions on, on what to adopt. And next slide, please. So the timeline for that final report is tentatively around April. The main budget, mayor's budget, is due in June. That's when the majority of the changes happen. So that should give us time to implement the results of the fee study in the next in the budget of the next two years. And I'd be happy to answer any questions. Thank, thank you, I'll call for, is there any public comment first? Any public comment on this item? Seeing none in person, any virtually? No, okay, commissioners. Commissioner Shaddix. Thank you, President. Thank you, Alex, for the presentation. Just a, um, a clarifying question. The launch date on this is, I think it said April um, of this year, or April. When Are we going to start seeing the fee numbers, the fee increase numbers before that date, or is it going to be just an all-out launch um, in April, and then it's going to roll out to community, to uh, inner city departments and stuff, or are we going to start getting hints of to what those fee increases might look like before then? I believe the implementation will be in the next fiscal year, so beginning July is likely when the effective date of the new fees will, will uh, when the new fees will be effective. So we won't see, we won't know what those fees are, then not even a hint until July. No, we'll, we will see the, the final report in April and we may have preliminary, so the final, we will likely have preliminary uh, proposals well before the final report is issued in April. So possibly March, we will have a series of three proposals or a series of proposals for increase fee X by Y amount um, for, for each fee or add new fee Z 
for some type of work. So you will you will definitely see um, you will see something before the the final report at the April is the latest that you will see the results of the fee study. Okay. May I ask one more question, okay. if, uh, if I may? Um, so I, I think the goal here is to obviously raise fees, raise revenue for the department. Um, um, what happens if we have a turnaround? Um, let's say, for example, the storms these last couple of weeks, there's going to be a whole lot of permits being pulled for roof repairs and all kinds of other um, activity. And I, I suspect there's going to be an uptick in uh, permits being pulled and thus revenue. So what happens between now and then if you know we suddenly see an uptick in revenue increases? Is that in consideration too, or are we still just absolutely like we're heading towards this dollar amount um, to launch? Well, that, that's why we really want to include this fee flexibility language in the code change. So fees will not change until July. And then July is hopefully when this fee flexibility language would go into effect. So if the results of the fee study say we need to increase fees 10%, and then between April and July, we see a miraculous economic recovery and a ton of permits being pulled, we would then have the ability to lower fees to not over-collect. Commissioner Tam. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I think the flexibility language is a great idea, allowing DBI to you know, fairly maneuver. Um, my, my question, the option on the reserve policy, um, when they present the final presentation, would they be able to give us an option on what, you know, if we did have a reserve policy or if we didn't, what, the, what each scenario would look like? In preliminary discussions with the consultant, they say that they have not seen this in other jurisdictions, and this is really a policy decision for the department, so they may be able to offer some advice, but I think it is up to the department to decide, and my plan was to work with the controller's office who has similar policies on the, at the city level. They have rainy day reserves, and they have policies for those reserves about when and how much is added to or taken away from those reserves. And so we will definitely have proposed language to share with you uh, and for on you to approve. With yeah, and, and likely different scenarios. If we think that the average, the next recession will be four years and will cost $100 million, then maybe the reserve should be, we set a maximum of $100 million and a maximum use of 25 million per year, and then if a reserve, if a um, recession we assume is every 10 years, then maybe in good years we increase fees above recovery level by 10 million dollars to slowly build it back up between. So it will likely be something like that. Okay, thank you. I have. Um Four questions, and I've, I feel like I've been sufficiently socialized on this topic, so my questions are for clarity, and you can respond to them uh, you know, fairly efficiently. I don't think, I'm not looking for an at-length answer or response, but um, first question is, are these fee studies for DBI, are they scheduled fee studies every three years or four years? No, they are scheduled as needed. As needed, okay, 
fine. Um, second question on your milestones. Um, you give a beginning and an end. I think it'd be good to see milestones. I typically see milestones tied to a schedule. So maybe uh, the interim dates that you perhaps would work towards on your flow chart between one through eight. Sure, uh, we can we can work those out. Uh, roughly, I would suspect that phases two and three, where we're in now, will likely last for a few weeks and and. A lot of these milestones will overlap. There will be continuing education and refinement. And the fee comparison will likely, the consultant is likely doing that research now, determining what fees are for the other jurisdictions. So fee comparison will likely coincide with uh, the options that are presented in number five. So. I would imagine those would come around March and then sometime between March and April, the final report, we will refine those scenarios and present them to you, present them to the mayor's office, the board of supervisors for feedback. Could we update this one slide with some of those target dates? That's what I was looking for specifically. So it's something in the future we can look to and say, you know, we know the next big meeting that you're approaching this milestone. So that was more like a, a request. Sure, I will work with the consultant to okay. determine dates. And then and then, uh, and then, just appending Commissioner Shattuck's question about the when the BIC would be, uh, would see some of these uh, uh, draft reviews. Um, my question is, would we be able to see a draft review at at milestone five, where you where you have a draft before it turns into the recommendation, and perhaps hear feedback from the commission before you get to the recommendations. Um, I know you mentioned that in your presentation that perhaps at six, that's when you would present those to the BIC. Um, so it's just a request to see if you know, seeing what the draft might look like, and what if there's any any feedback from the commission on those recommendations. So I don't know if that's worthy of, of, of us looking at it, but it's just food for thought. Sure, uh, it, will it would likely be in a March meeting <clears throat> if we are to that point yet where there are scenarios that had been developed at that point. Uh, but yes, we will attempt to show you something before the final report. So March of 2023 is when we would anticipate seeing something on the fee study. That's great. At this point, yes, I would say yes. So I think updates to that, if it's if it's significantly delayed, if, you know, understanding when that would happen, that that would be great. Last question is: You outlined direct and indirect costs. Um, direct were staff as a direct cost. Is that is that am I? Sure, any costs that directly go towards the activity. So the staff, the staff's equipment, their, their. Um, yeah, I understand that. I just want to finish my mm -hmm. question. But you uh, parsed out the, the, the executive team, so they're part of the indirect costs? Yes, so the, the building rent, a portion of my salary, so there's no administrative salary on a permit, so a portion of my salary would be allocated to each cost center and recovered through the various fees. The oh, so that is covered as part, so that, even though that that's considered an indirect cost, your, your, 
the expense that DBI ha uh, has on their sheet to pay you is shared pro rata in the fee study, and along with perhaps Director O'Riordan and other other executive team members here. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. And that would sort of, to me, like like a pro rata overhead that you're applying across all departments. Okay, great. Yes. That's all my questions. Thank you. And also, um, Commissioner Alexander Toot has a question. You can uh, unmute yourself, please. Yes, can you hear me? Yes. yes. Oh, fantastic, thank you. Um, thank you for the presentation. I have um, a few questions, one point, uh, one point of clarification and um, kind of two process questions. Um, I wanted to clarify that when we're looking at the fee study, regardless of where the money comes from, whether it comes from, you know, whether the Board of Supervisors chip in or the mayor chips in, all of our expenditures continue to be studied in the fee study and then the where the money comes from and how we allocate the fees that's second is that correct yes if if i'm understanding your question there are some sources of revenue that will affect fee amounts for example fines we fine fines um if we the, the more fine revenue we get that would reduce the need for fee revenue, so that should reduce fees. If there are expenditures that the department incurs that are funded by some sort of revenue transfer from, uh, let's say, the general fund, then that would further reduce the need for fee revenues and would reduce fee amounts. Okay, thank you. Um, so I, I wanna be, to repeat what you said, that I think is an important part that the uh, that the expenditures will continue to be studied, but if there's a, another an additional source of income, it will be used to reduce fees it, it, in, in our calculations, and that will come out in March and in April and throughout that kind of public process. Yes. So the what will come out in March is uh, the universe of all sources and all uses expenditures and how much fee revenue is needed and is appropriate to fund the uses. Thank you. Second question, kind of building on that understanding. For the number of fee waivers, so we've been asked to waive fees. If those fee waivers sunset during the life of this kind of fee study, will those fees then come online? Yes, fee waivers are a tricky issue. For example, first year free, that may not be the best example because we are reimbursed for fees that are waived. The general fund pays the department the fee that we would have collected. So the okay. general fund is effectively paying the fee, but yes, if there is a fee that sunsets or a fee waiver that sunsets sometime in the future and our revenues go up, again, hopefully we would have the fee flexibility language to recognize that and then lower fees as needed to bring down recoveries or maintain overall recoveries at the appropriate level. Okay, thank you. And then my third question is, um, you talked about, I would very much welcome, this is, you know, 
DVI is one commission, one department, but certainly the entire city relies on us. And I would very much welcome the mayor's input and the board of supervisors input. Um, can you clarify the, uh, what that timeline might look like? And then also uh, what the ultimate authority is? Are we recommending the fee study to the board of supervisors? Um, and then, or is, is the, does the final authority lie with the board, with the BIC? I may be incorrect on this, and perhaps the city attorney can weigh in, but I believe the final authority rests with the BIC to change the building code. Uh, Deputy City Attorney Rob Kapla, the, we would propose uh, uh, the fee changes uh, be presented to the BIC, which would recommend it through an ordinance for the board to pass and change our code. That's very helpful. Thank you. So we will, we're a recommending body, but the ultimate authority last, um, falls with the Board of Supervisors. I believe that's, that's all correct. my questions. Thank you very, very, very much. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Um, Okay, next we have um, item seven, <clears throat> update on the department's launch of a pilot project using Solar App Plus for single and two unit residential rooftop solar permitting. Okay, good morning, um, President Vito, members of the commission, Neville Pereira, Deputy Director of Permit Services, um, here to present on this uh, item. Okay, so the Solar App Plus um, is a uh, web application that was provided or um, developed by the National, um, National Renewable Energy Laboratories, um, and it was provided to all jurisdictions for free, um, and its its main purpose is to provide instantaneous online permitting for residential rooftop um, installations, residential meaning one and two family dwellings. Uh, anything else, um, like commercial installations, um, ground mount or ballast mount uh, installations are beyond the scope of solar, the solar app application. And um, the implementation of this um, web application is actually national. It started um, somewhat modestly last year in California and is now be being instituted nationally to essentially accelerate the um, proliferation of uh, solar installations uh, across the nation. Next slide. The goal is to um, uh, take our existing uh, solar applications um, uh, to be able to provide them online and, and instantaneously 
and it's um, the strategy is to provide a pilot program for this uh, application here in San Francisco for about um, 30 applications just to see how it's, uh, you know, our customers acclimate to it and how our inspection team deal with the application. Um, and eventually the, the goal is that 100% um, of uh, our installation that are applicable to the solar app get instituted online. This um, application is there as an option to our existing customers. So if you did want to walk in with a, a plan, the traditional way, you would still do that. Um, this just provides an option for our customers. Next slide, please. So currently, um, the, the traditional way of uh, doing this is to submit either in paper or electronically through our uh, online portal or to walk it into our department. As with traditional plan review, um, the plan checker um, reviews the plans, uh, develops some comments, returns it to the applicant, applicant resolves those comments, comes back in a cyclical uh, type of um, uh, operation. That's done on a, a, a traditional form, and we, like I said, it's either walked in or it's uh, uh, submitted online through um, our an email portal, so to speak. Next slide. Um, going forward, uh, once we institute the, this application, the applicant will go to the Solar App um, website, register with a fee each time the applicant um, pulls a permit, they will, they will pay a, a modest fee and um, enter their application information. The process is um, to uh, answer a series of questions about the installation and the application, then internally um, um, checks the, the input and makes sure that installation is valid. If an, an, alert, an alert or an alarm is set um, off, the applicant has to resolve it right there and then. Either inverter isn't compatible with the system or whatever, it'll tell you immediately what's wrong with it and you will have to resolve it immediately in order to move forward. Once you have uh, correctly answered all the questions, the um, application will submit, will provide a, um, a checklist which is sent to the department along with a reference number, and then the applicant logs into the DBI portal, pays for the inspection with DBI, uploads uh, that documentation into our system, and then the applicant can then schedule the inspection right there and then. Um, the inspector is alerted as to when the inspection is needed. The, uh, the inspector goes out to the field, inspects the installation with the checklist, um, in hand and um, essentially validates the um, installation with the checklist as provided. Uh, next slide, please. So like I said, um, the, the contractor um, determines um, if the application is um, pertinent for the solar app and um, the, the licensed um, contractor will, um, again, 
download the, the uh, download the checklist and then um, pay the fees on our portal. I, I already covered this. We can go to the next slide. Cover this. Go to the next slide. All right. So the eligibility criteria for um, for installations is that the um, it has to be uh, just a solar array rooftop mount, like I said, single family or two family dwelling. Um, the total power output would be 10 kilowatts or less. No existing solar uh, arrays on site. Um, the single phase 240 uh, volt system and maximum of two uh, DC strings. And only um, applicable to one, one solar array. Next slide. I won't cover that. This is okay. um, some detailed uh, requirements there. Next slide. All right. Um, like I say, this uh, we're we're in the final phases of uh, user acceptance testing. Um, we'll be inviting the um, contractor community in to see a demonstration of the application. Um, many of our larger contractors, like Sunrun, Solar, um, Tesla. Um, are already familiar with the system. They've been using it in, in various other jurisdictions. And uh, we'll just be showing them the DBI, the San Francisco DBI portion of um, paying for the fees. I'm here to answer any questions you have. Um, does Commissioner Toot have any questions? Commissioner Summer? Apologies, so do public comment first. Is there any public comment on this item? I'm seeing none. Uh, Commissioner Alexander, too, did you have a question? No. I think Commissioner No, Summer. she doesn't. Oh, uh, Commissioner does Summer she? did, sorry. I, I just didn't. I was oh, okay. Commissioner Summer. I was just curious how many projects a year there are that, once this eventually gets going, will fit into this category. Um, I actually don't have that statistic. I apologize. That's fine. Um, I want to thank you for uh, this presentation, um, and obviously you're a little under the weather, it appears, so I'll keep this short. Um, but this is a very technical presentation for a lot of commissioners and even for someone like myself who uh, we usually employ experts to do, like to, to look at solar studies on projects. So I think what would have been helpful with this presentation, and maybe we do a, a different version of this where Maybe some of the checklists that would apply that, that a, a user interface would see, and some of the items that you're referring to that would have some visuals, because this entire deck had text, and it was it's just harder to follow when you don't visualize some of the things that you're t speaking to. So, I, I'd just sort of like to suggest that we kind of maybe do a do-over of this presentation another time, where it's a little bit more clear. Um, okay, I understand. Um, because I think this is this is a really important topic, and and there's just so much content here that is that something that that the other commissioners would appreciate. Uh, you, you actually wanted an, um, a summary of the actual plan review, what goes on, the compatibility of inverters, well, and I'll give you an example. Like you you reference a checklist when somebody comes up to this application, but even like maybe even screenshots of what that application looks like, what that app looks like when you, you know, either it's on the website Got or something it. like that. Got it, I understand. That. 
Um, uh, you talk about, um, I mean, you reference some of the other things. And I think sort of less, some of the, like balancing the process of, of this and, um, and then how this is tying into some of the requirements that the you know builders or applicants are meeting as, as part of this application. So I think it was sort of more technical and process oriented. Deputy uh, City Attorney Rob Kaplan, I think there's actually an opportunity. We will probably revisit this as are our state laws requiring use of solar app and the changes in fees and timelines for approvals, as well as some storage requirements um, on the horizon. So we can probably, at the, when we present on how we incorporate that, that would be a good spot to have additional uh, visuals and, and revamp the, the, the presentation to fit in with that. Yeah, and I think like having screenshots of the application itself and what the prompts that the, an applicant has to respond to would also be like you know a case study or a project that you you know that we could you, we could see. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. We'll we'll do that. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Newman, I just had one brief question, and um, that was. You referenced that it's already in place in some other places. Could you um, give us just a couple of examples if you, of places where it's already been implemented so we can? Sure, um, the city of Pleasant Hill, I believe. Um, um, I see, I don't have that list immediately in mind here, but uh, they were typically smaller jurisdictions. We were approached with this uh, about this time last year. Um, and one of the uh, considerations we had was that there were very few installations in California, if at, you know, and so that was that was um, uh, topmost in our minds as we decide, you know, we're looking at ways to implement an, an, an instantaneous permitting or online permitting. Uh, since then, however, it has proliferated pretty significantly. But I'll, I'll have that list for you next time too. And there was a question. Are you done? I'm sorry, Commissioner Newman. There was a, a question for Commissioner Alexander too. Can I unmute yourself? Yes, thank you. Um, my question is, is actually, well, maybe it's more of a, a hope or a suggestion or a comment, which is that I think this is terrific. It is highly technical and I think it's wonderful you mentioned some kind of big players that have access to this. I want to make sure our, our local contractors also have, you know, um, <clears throat> equal access to this. Is there a plan to do public outreach? I'm sensitive to the, the comment early, we heard earlier today about contractor, immigrant contractors, immigrant home, homeowners and small business, business owners. Um, is there a plan by the department to do public education and outreach? Uh, to the contractor community, um, particularly in, in uh, languages other than English? Um, certainly there is uh, a plan uh, to, to outreach to our local contractors. Um, the reason why it's implemented primarily with the larger contractors right now is just because um, these larger contractors do tens if not hundreds of these every um, every day across the, the um, the country. 
the smaller contractors uh, are used to having plans drawn up and that kind of stuff. But uh, the application isn't um, isn't restricted to anybody. Anybody can re uh, register with uh, Solar App and um, and have their applications checked through the Solar App Plus. But um, to your point, Commissioner Toot, yes, we uh, we will be doing uh, public outreach and uh, recording a demonstration of our um, of our uh, San Francisco DBI interface um, uh, for for people to use as needed. Thank you. I'm happy to hear that. I don't have any further questions except that you know I think a much more simplified uh, deck, especially when considering that these are targeting uh, a single-family residence and two-unit two residences, like for people that are watching. Or you're, I think the DBI is trying to encourage the use of this. So, yeah, suggestion to sort of just make it a little bit simpler. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Um, next, we will go to agenda item eight, commissioners' questions and matters, inquiries to staff. At this time, commissioners may make inquiries to staff regarding various documents, policies, practices, and procedures which are of interest to the commission. And I'll also read um, item B, future meetings and agendas. At this time, the commission may discuss and take action to set the date of a special meeting and or determine those items that could be placed on the agenda of the next meeting and other future meetings of the Building Inspection Commission. Um, our next uh, regular meeting is scheduled for February 15th. Um, uh, there are tentative dates for the special budget meetings um, up to January 30th and February 14th, but uh, not confirmed yet. So I will uh, confirm that with, with all, the, all the commissioners. Um, is there any inquiries to staff from commissioners? Commissioner Shaddix. Thank you, President Vito. Um, I'm hoping for the commission's consideration that, um, you know, something very near and dear to me is commercial corridors in San Francisco. And we now have our vacancy storefront tax is alive and well, and it's in motion. And I've worked the last almost three years on getting an accurate count through DBI on one particular corridor. And I know that there's tremendous amount of there was a tremendous amount of work and um, great collaboration with some folks to get an accurate database of vacant storefronts. So one particular corridor I feel pretty good about, um, but there are also several other named corridors uh, throughout the vacancy tax. And I'd like for a consideration um, either to have a report um, showing exactly what DBI shows as, a, as vacancies in these named commercial corridors or um, a subcommittee or just a general meeting on it. I'm not sure exactly the protocol on um, um, having that, but um, what I have found is that the tax collector is the one that's going to be doing the vacancy tax itself. But DBI, I think, is probably the best partner in identifying the vacant storefronts. And the, the DBI field inspectors, they, they got a lot to do. Um, so I, I don't want to put all of this on that particular inspector. But I do think the best advocates in our commercial corridors are the residents in those corridors themselves. 
and I would like to see a way to work with various neighborhood organizations to um, see this same report that I'm asking for. Um, what exactly does the city, whether it's data SF, DBI, tax collector, what are we seeing as vacant storefronts? Um, and with that, I'll, I'll just pause that because I, I don't know how to ask uh, if that's a consideration for a, a future meeting or a report or... I think you're asking that of DBI, right? So I'll let Correct. Director... Yeah, thanks for the question, Commissioner Shaddix. Uh, we're happy to, to do a data dive on this and uh, see what it is we have um, in, in, in regard to numbers and location of vacant storefronts. And uh, we can provide you with a report or if it's agendized for the commission, we can uh, present in regard to our findings. So happy to assist in, in that and provide you with whatever data we have. I'd be fine with the report, and I, I just want to make sure that this report would be available to our neighborhood, other neighborhoods um, in the named commercial corridors. Um, they're, they're, they would have access to this report as well. And then is that a report that we can kind of cross-check, do as I did, literally walk <laughs> with, with the list, and it's empty, you know. Um, is that something we can amend back to DBI and say, no, this is definitely a vacant storefront? Um, so I guess my question again is sorry. Um, my question is, is that list, can that list be available to neighborhood organizations that are in the named commercial corridors? Yeah, I mean, any reports we put together in the interests of full transparency are available and accessible. So okay. yes. I'm happy to start there with the report. I think that's something Thanks. we'd probably agendize and it would be available to the public, I pres presumably so. All of the, I think all your questions will be answered by, by agendizing it. Um, I have one inquiry to, to staff, um, and I think just on the tail end of Commissioner Shattuck's questions about his um, personal um, focus or interest, uh, something, and I, one of the commission meetings we talked about the updates to the website. Uh, I did go to the website to look up uh, the commissioners, and one of the things I I, I thought would be helpful, and well, I noticed that myself and Commissioner Summer, our occupation and our location of our workplace was listed, but there's very little, there's no information about any, uh, any of, any bio about Commissioner's background, so the people understand, you know, I think they know what an architect is and a structural engineer is, but the experience and backgrounds that other commissioners bring to the table, I think would be helpful to have a short bio um, uh, on the website of the individual commissioners. I think other commissions have that, so thoughts, Director O'Riordan? Yeah, we're happy to, to look into that and get back to you, President Beto. Yeah, and I would suggest that um, uh, individual commissioners provide, like, uh, we don't need your CV, I don't think we want your CV up on the on the website, but a short um, summary of something that perhaps you put on LinkedIn or something that describes your work experience or something that you're particularly passionate or focused about. Absolutely. We're absolutely willing to work with you on that. Okay, great. Yeah. How did, how did, uh, I just wanted to get some some feedback or responses from fellow commissioners. Commissioner Matt Ashaddix. I'm getting names wrong all day long. <laughs> it's okay. I was, gave me, bought me some time to look for the button. Um, I, I'm fine with that. I, I thought I did submit a uh, summary, um, but uh, I, I'm, I agree with you. I think it's nice to know what everybody does out there, outside of this room. So 
I like it. I agree. Yeah, having it posted on the website, I think, would be helpful. And actually even helpful for each one of us. It's like understanding, okay, what's Commissioner Newman's experience working in housing or Commissioner Tam's experience working in um, real estate? Um, do, you, do I know what he does? <laughs> well, we generally know what you do. But, but, those, but things that I think also that speak to your... Um, your passion about being on the commission, if there is something that you thought you think uh, we should include or DBI should include. So anyway, good. I'm glad to hear that the commission is uh, uh, supportive of that. I don't have any other further questions or inquiries or agenda items. Thank you. Is there any public comment on items 8A and B? Good morning, my name is Jerry Drantler. I'm at the website now, and what's interesting is that the Planning Commission website, you can send an email directly to a commissioner, but that's not possible with the BIC. So I, I don't see where the BIC commissioners can have an easy dialogue with the citizens of San Francisco without the ability to send a commissioner an email. Thank you. Is there any additional public comment? And just that FYI, all, the majority of our commissioners do have um, SFGov emails for, for member, any members of the public that are listening. I think he was suggesting that it was posted on the website under our name. Right. Though. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> um, and for next, we have item nine, um, director's report, 9A, director's update. Thank you, President Beto and members of the Building Inspection Commission. Uh, I'm Patrick O'Reardon, Director of the Department of Building Inspection. Uh, first, I want to invite you and everyone to uh, join us at our next public advisory forum, which will be held on January 25th at 3.30. It's Wednesday, uh, Wednesday, January 24th, for, uh, 25th me, at 3.30 p.m. Um, We'll be presenting on uh, the launch of the solar app that you just heard Neville speak about. Uh, so anyone who missed today's presentation, um, uh, we will be presenting that again. We'll also be hearing from our colleagues at the Permit Center and the Planning Department, and they will be providing us with updates and guidelines relating to their uh, departments. Uh, I notice with the meeting information will be going out shortly. Uh, I hope you can make it. So next, uh, I know we've all been enduring constant rain and wind over the last few weeks. Uh, our inspectors have been, have been busy. So I want to provide you with a, an update on the outstanding work our inspectors have performed over the past three weeks of um, storms. Um, as you know, we have a team of inspectors that, uh, that are working throughout the week. And we also have at least one on-call inspector who is available 24-7 for anything that might happen outside of normal business hours, um, weekends, and generally after 5 p.m. each day. If we get a call, calls come into the 311 portal, the fire department, the police department, they get calls about things like trees falling on houses, landslides, flooding of houses. So we, uh, we've had a lot of those calls over the past three weeks. Um, we've um, 
issued 20 notices of violation uh, for the things that I uh, described, the trees into buildings and wind damage, and flooding, landslides. So I, I do want to commend our inspectors, especially the, the, the ones who picked the short straw and had the assignment of December and January, Damien uh, Martin and uh, Trevor Byrne in particular, along with Mauricio Hernandez for their great work and commitment uh, to our city and their willingness to go the extra mile for the community. There's a, as you can imagine, there's a lot of hand-holding when an inspector goes out there and somebody has a tree through their roof or you know whatnot, so they've performed exceptionally well. Uh, thanks, Damien, Trevor, and Mauricio. And uh, just a quick note of appreciation. I'd like to share a note that was sent, sent by a customer, Miss Cindy Chan, to our building uh, inspector calling out building inspection group, calling out Enrique's fine work. And she states, I would like to express my gratitude and appreciation to Mr. Enrique uh, Argamedo for his professional work and kindness. The San Francisco ABE, that's the, the, the accessible business entrance, uh, which is uh, Americans with Disability uh, Access requirement or compliance requirement, uh, have been challenging for me, and I worked hard with the help of many staff from the San Francisco Building Inspection, the San Francisco Permit Center, and the San Francisco Small Business Office. There were some people uh, that weren't kind or patient, but there were a lot of wonderful, hardworking people who helped guide and explain the process of complying. Mr. Uh, Argamedo is among those uh, who was wonderful. Uh, and in response, we, we thank Mrs. Ch Ms. Chan for her kind words, and I thank you, and uh, Enrique, thank you also for your smart work and excellent customer service. That concludes my report. Uh, thank you. Um, next we have 9B, update on major projects. Do we have um, the slide deck? Okay, uh, this is uh, an update on our major projects for you, President Beto and Commissioners. Um, the following slides are intended to highlight the volume and valuation of projects costing five million or more that are filed, issued, and completed, as well as profile a few projects that bring especially high value in terms of their contribution to housing and community assets. So to start with, in December of uh, 22, uh, 30 permit applications with an estimated construction value of uh, 5 million or more were filed with DBI. These projects are anticipated to add 2,654 new housing units, and they're collectively uh, valued at over $1 billion. And can I have the next slide, please? Uh, this, um, uh, this includes an application for 829 units at 620 Folsom Street, where 135 of the units were expected to be below market rate. Uh, there was also an application filed for 101 uh, Front Street, uh, Fawn Street in Park Merced, which is planned to have 471 units. Sorry, I skipped ahead a slide there. So we should be on slide two now. Uh, slide three, pardon me. 
So last month we issued four high value <coughs> permits with a collective valuation of $219 million. One of these permits was for 160, 100% affordable units at 730 Stanyan Street. The other was for a 299 room hotel at 350 2nd Street. And lastly, if we can have slide four. Uh, lastly, DBI final t 10 high volume, t 10 high value, pardon me, projects. Uh, these completed projects have a construction valuation of about $161 million and have added 312 new housing units. One of the projects was a 258-unit affordable housing building at 1064 Mission Street. And another, another was for a 195-room hotel at 72 Ellis Street. Uh, that concludes my presentation. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, next is uh, item C, update on DBI's finances. Hello again, Commissioners. Alex Goskinen, Deputy Director, Administration. Can you move to the next slide, please? So this is the regular finance monthly update uh, that we discussed in the previous meeting, in the what to expect. What's different about this month's update is that we now, for the first time, have our first real set of projected year-end amounts, which you will see in the following slides. So. Uh, significant revenue items, about 50% of the year has elapsed, and we've only recovered about 48% of our revenue. And our initial projection now is to uh, miss our revenue budget by about 6%. That is a very conservative estimate. As you know, the cost schedule was just updated and that should theoretically result in higher revenues in the second half of the year. However, those are very difficult to predict, project, calculate. And so we will see over the next one, two, three months uh, what, those increase, what that increase really translates to. So for now, we're really um, taking a conservative approach, not building in any revenue increase into our projections and assuming that the second half of the year will go about the same as the first. And there are some, next slide please, there are some revenues that have not posted yet but that definitely will, so these are administrative items. Uh, I'll go through very quickly. The first line is our major source of revenue, those are our fees and again you can see uh, that so far through the, the, the first two columns are last year's budget and actuals, the middle two columns are the current budget and year-to-date actuals, and the final two columns are our projected actuals and uh, resulting surplus deficit. So again, the first line is our primary fee revenue. We're projecting a, approximately $4 million deficit. Second line, our expenditure recovery. This is work we do for other departments that they pay us for. 
that we assume right now that we will do all the work or that work will be delayed, we'll carry it forward and we'll receive it in a following period. Interest, uh, due to the accelerated use of our fund balance, the we expect to recover less interest than originally thought. The license permits and franchises, this is entirely the apartment license fee and based on the prior year and actuals to date current year, we are expecting to do a bit better than, than was budgeted. Other revenues, very minor, and transfers from the general fund and add back was given by a board of supervisors. We expect to collect all of that. So the resulting operating projected deficit is about $3.5 million. However, as you'll see, when we talk about expenditures, um, that will be entirely balanced out by expenditure savings. Next slide, please. On the expenditure side, expenditures are trending below budget. So to date, we've only spent 36% of our budget. However, uh, much of the funds are encumbered. When we know we have contracts with with uh, businesses, we will encumber the funds, set them aside for future use, but the dollars have not gone out the door yet. So those are open purchase orders um, that are already committed but not actually spent. So this 36% is actually uh, a much higher percentage of our funds are actually committed. Uh, salary and fringe, we are trending almost exactly on budget. So we're doing well there. Our vacancies remain low and we are not, our, our overhead and all spending is in line with what had been planned previously. And based on the first six months and some additional adjustments, our expenditure projections are 4% uh, lower than what was budgeted. So if you move to the next page, you can see the breakdown again, prior year, current year budget and act in year to date actuals and at the end are the projections. So the most significant item is uh, the major source of our savings is in non-personnel services. This was budgeted high previously, I assume, and is a, a holdover from when times are good. Some of that also is needed for peer review services, which we are reimbursed for. So that, uh, that savings is actually, we need to budget the ability to spend, even though we will uh, receive reimbursement for it. And so you'll see the total bottom line projected amount is 3.5 savings, so that cancels out on the revenue side. So we are projecting to end with um, end as originally budgeted as planned, which still on the revenue side, you can see that the revenue is about 60 something million, expenditure is 90 something million. That gap was made up by fund balance. So our fund balance is still dropping significantly, but it is, we're using the amount that we had originally planned and not more, things are not getting worse. Next slide, please. And for some context on the, further context on the revenue side, 
Year-to-date number of permits is much lower than last, is 10% lower than last year, but the valuation is 10% higher. If you go to the next slide, please. You can see the all of the lower valuations are have, have significantly fewer permits and total valuation than the prior year. However, the difference is almost entirely made up at the high end with the two largest categories, the 5,200 and 100 to 200 million dollar projects. The total valuations there um, almost, almost double, well, more than double for the largest category, second to largest category. And that concludes this monthly update, and I'd be happy to answer any questions. Um, do we need to can take this directly to the commission right now? Or I don't know if you have to talk to uh, get public. Um, no, we'll do part of the comment at the okay. end of okay, all this. Um, we talked about budget in, at length at uh, the last commission meeting, and and um, I think I don't want to rush my fellow commissioners, but we do have a closed session. But I I don't have any further questions. But um, uh, I think some of the things that you've outlined here in terms of the shortfalls. And that you've um, that that are in this slide, I think, on uh, one of the earlier pages when you're showing your revenue illustrates that. So I don't have any further questions. Do my fellow commissioners have questions? Thank you. Thanks. Um, next, we have. I I had one just on process. Oh, I go ahead. Go ahead. Um, so I understand that we are just doing, we did get into a, a lengthy discussion last month. This is an update, but there is a budget process that's upcoming. So any of the kind of leftover questions that will be, um, this is both for a commission and then for the, for the members of the public, the process will be there is a tentative meeting that we will finalize today. Is that correct? Or will be finalized uh, um, for our budget meetings? Could someone just walk through what the process is? Oh, we, we will have the special meetings. It's just I have to find out about the dates and whether we can meet and we have to meet in person or remotely. That's the only the only thing. Okay, perfect. So all the kind of leftover questions we have from last month and any members of the public who have questions, um, we can those can be funneled into the budget meetings. Yes. Thank you. No further questions. Um, item D is update on proposed or recently enacted state or local legislation. President Beto, commissioners, good morning again. Carl Nacida, legislative affairs manager, with a very brief update on state and local legislation. It's a relatively quiet time since your last update, since the Board of Supervisors was on winter recess until January 9th. Um, next slide, please. We can actually go ahead and skip this one. This is the proposed ordinance that you just heard um, to increase fines and penalties for violations of the planning and building code. Thank you for hearing that item. Next slide. Um, there is a pending hearing uh, with DBI and planning department, uh, Office of Labor Standards Enforcement and the Human Rights Commission on potential violations um, at the Twitter headquarters building located at 1355 Market Street. Um, that's been assigned to the Land Use and Transportation Committee, but the hearing date has not been scheduled. Next slide. And then on the state legislation side, as you know, the state legislature 
was on recess as well and reconvened for the start of their 2023-24 legislative session on January 4th. Uh, this is the first year of the legislature's two-year session. And this year, legislators have until February 17th to introduce bills. In your next update, we'll have a, a list of uh, proposed state legislation that we'll be watching for you. Happy to answer any questions. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. I don't believe we have any questions. Thank you. Uh, next, we have item E, update on inspection services. Um, good morning, President Beto. Commissioners, I'm Matthew Green, Chief Building Inspector of um, Inspection Services. I'm pleased to provide an update on the activities and performance of our inspection services divisions. Um, can I get slide two, please? Uh, in December, the building electrical and plumbing divisions conducted nearly 9,800 inspections. 94% of those inspections were conducted within two business days of the date requested by the customer, uh, meeting our target of 90%. Uh, slide three. Uh, in the same month, our housing inspection services conducted 967 inspections, with 155 of them being routine inspections of multifamily housing. Um, slide four. The, the building electrical and plumbing divisions received 378 complaints and responded to nearly 100% of them within three business days, well exceeding their targets of 85%. Additionally, our code enforcement sent 39 cases to director's hearing. Slide five. Uh, our inspection, uh, sorry, our housing inspection services received 83 safety and heat complaints and responded to 84% of them within one business day. They received 344 other complaints and responded to over 90% of them within three business days. Housing inspection services also abated 343 cases with a notice of violation and sent 33 cases to director's hearing. Um, thank you. That concludes my presentation. I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. Any questions from commissioners? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any public comment on the director's report, items 9A through E? Good morning. My name is Jerry Durantler. The DBI financial presentation this month is much improved over prior big meeting presentations, and that's much appreciated. The schedules for the 2022 budget show revenue of 51 million and total expenditures of 112 million. And if I'm reading the schedules correctly, the operating loss will be about $60 million. Um, I don't need to remind you that um, DBI is an enterprise department and revenue is supposed to meet expenditures. My greatest concern is, uh, if I'm reading the schedules correctly, it's a $60 million operating loss, and that will probably take most, if not all, of the prior year operating reserves. If that's correct, then, then what happens? Thank you. Is there any additional public comment, either in person or online? Hello, Sarah. Fred Sherpinson from Housing Rights Committee. I think that uh, this report makes it really clear your earlier 
conversation about increasing fees, um, that it is actually problematic that often in years of plenty in enterprise departments and boom years we lower fees even when, when we should be really putting things aside in reserve because those same projects sometimes have problems down the lines. We're a CEOP program. We go out and outreach to tenants um, and are available for tenants who call us in five different languages throughout the city in horrible conditions. And we have these booms where a lot is built, but during the, the low points, during the periods, repair needs don't go down. The out-of-town investors who bought up buildings just disappear and refuse to answer phone calls and make basic repairs. Um, shoddy construction suddenly becomes really clear five or ten years later. Um, and then we just see, like, we're seeing a whole bunch of delayed maintenance from during the pandemic. And not only the flood we're seeing right now, but just basic conditions. And that if you don't talk about increasing fees, you talk about cutting the really services that your agency needs to provide and for mo the, some of the most vulnerable San Franciscans. And so I think it's really important that when we talk about going forward that I don't think fees should be cut, should have been cut in boom years and we should put, start putting more money away into long-term reserves. I think that's a really important move. But in these points, if we have to raise fees so that Tenants don't have their ceilings collapse on them. Their stoves work. I mean, we talked to some tenants last week where there were multiple tenants in the same complex who hadn't had stoves for over three months. And that meant all the holidays. That meant being able to feed their family and not having to get takeout or grocery store stuff. These services are really crucial. And that I think this is just the beginning and we have to look at what we need to do in lean years. And so... Um, thank you all for all of your work and looking at this stuff today. Thank you. Um, any further public comment? Okay, seeing none, um, we'll go to item 10. It's a review and approval of the minutes of the special meeting of December 14, 2022. Motion to approve the minutes. Second. Is there any public comment on the minutes? Um, seeing none, there's a motion by uh, Vice President Tam and a second by Commissioner Summer. Are all commissioners in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay, the minutes are approved. Aye. Thank, thank you. Okay, so next we have item 11, discussing and, and possible action regarding Director O'Riordan's performance evaluation. Um, continue from the December 14th special meeting, um, 11A, public comment on all matters pertaining to the closed session. Is there any public comment in person or remotely? Okay, seeing none. Um, next, we have item 11B, possible action to convene a closed session. Is there a motion? Motion. Seconded. There is a motion by President Vito and a second by Vice President Tam to convene a closed session. I'll do the roll call vote on this motion. Um, President Vito? Yes. Vice President Tam? Yes. Commissioner Alexander Toot? Yes. Commissioner Newman? Yes. Commissioner Summer? Yes. 
Commissioner Shaddix? Yes. Okay, the motion carries unanimously. Um, so it is 11 a.m. and uh, we will begin convening our uh, closed session. So I would uh, ask that all um, parties present in person to, to leave the room now. And anyone besides uh, Commissioner Alexander Toot to, um, to leave the remote meeting as well. Thank you. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television. SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
Hello. It is, again, this is the regular meeting of the Building Inspection Commission, January 18, 2023. We are on agenda item 11D, reconvene an open session to vote on whether to disclose any or all discussions held in closed session. Motion to reconvene. Okay. And non-disclose. Okay, so. Is that the question that you asked? Yeah, there's, yes. Oh, second. Okay, so there is a motion to reconvene in open session and not disclose what was discussed in the closed session. And I'll do a roll call vote on that item. Um, President Beto. Uh, sorry, repeat that last part again. I'm sorry. What do you want me to do? Oh, just to, uh, yes or no, just, re just, to, just to reconvene in open session and not disclose. Uh, yes. Oh, okay. sorry, you're taking a vote. Yes. And then uh, Vice President Tam. Yes. Commissioner Alexander Toot. Yes. Commissioner Newman. Yes. Commissioner Summer. Yes. And Commissioner Shaddix. Yes. Okay, that motion carries unanimously. President, is there any other uh, statement you'd like to add? That we, that we approve the performance evaluation in closed session. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, and is there anything else? A uh, motion to, uh, are we on? Um, no, I don't think we have to do a motion. Madam Chair. May, may, I, may I say something, Madam Chair? Um, yeah. Okay, thank you very much, <laughs> Commissioners. So I, uh, we are now to... Oh, I was just gonna do through the chair if I can say something. Oh, I did that already. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Madam Secretary, Commissioner Tam would like to say I, something. Just before we close, um, I just want to wish my fellow commissioners, the entire DBI, the general public, Gong Fa Choi, and I wish all of you a happy Lunar New Year, prosperity and health. That's all. No. Oh, thank you. That was nice of you, Commissioner Tam. Thank you. Well, I thought that Lunar New Year was in February. No, it's coming up on the It's point. coming up next week. Yeah, I've gotten some emails about that. Okay, got it. Happy New Year, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Exactly. Um, so now on to adjournment. Is there a motion to adjourn? Motion to adjourn. Uh, Madam Secretary, can I just say something really fast? I oh, don't sure. know if I'm supposed to make a disclosure, but just... So this might be overkill, but I, I just wanted to state it in case I didn't have a chance before I went into, into closed session. Um, a couple of times, um, the Code Enforcement Outreach Program came up this meeting, um, and I just want to state for the record, uh, you know, I'm a former employee of an organization that was funded by the SEAP program. I've maintained close friendships and relationships with both people who, who receive services and also provide those services. Um, and... I just wanted to make that public disclosure, um, even though I, I'm not sure that anything rose to, to the level of requiring it. But I, you know, in in the in a good in the effort to you know to respect good governance, I just wanted to make that disclosure before we closed out. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. So we had um, motion to to adjourn, adjourn. and then motion second. to adjourn. Seconded. Okay, all commissioners in favor? Aye. 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 We are now adjourned. It is 12.48 p.m. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone.